Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Through Conversations podcast, where we explore the cosmos, consciousness, and everything in between through conversations with the most brilliant minds. Today, I'm speaking with David Sachs. David Sachs is a writer and reporter who specializes in business and culture. His previous book, The Revenge of Analog, was a number one Washington Post bestseller and was selected as one of Michiko Kakutani's top 10 books of 2016 for the New York Times and has been translated into six languages. He also won a James Beard Award for his book, Save the Delhi. He lives in Toronto. In this conversation, we dive deep into his newest book, The Soul of an Entrepreneur, and we discuss an array of topics. Why have we institutionalized the field of entrepreneurship? Does entrepreneurship belong only in Silicon Valley? Has entrepreneurship become all about virtue signaling? What's the deep desire for one who wants to become an entrepreneur? What values should an entrepreneur have in his mind? And some of the deepest secrets that almost nobody knows about entrepreneurship. I truly enjoyed this conversation and I hope you do so as well. There are gems of wisdom that David shares with us and I hope to hear what you have in mind. What are your thoughts on entrepreneurship on this episode and leave your comments and reviews on Apple Podcasts. So thank you so much. Enjoy. Hello, everyone. So I'm here with, uh, I'm honored to be here with David Sachs, the author of The Soul of an Entrepreneur, Work and Life Beyond the Startup Myth, which for at least people my age and my circle and when we discuss entrepreneurship, we often think of Silicon Valley, what it means to be a, an entrepreneur and how we shape one our lives uh, in gravitating with this notion of entrepreneurship. But David's book is a, an eye-opener. And David, thank you so much for joining me today. My pleasure, Alex. We can go into so many things, so many different conversations starting off. But I believe one quote that I got from your book, which I'll read right now, just... It, pretty much sums up what entrepreneurship means, or at least has to be acknowledged from all of us, you know, this idea, and I'll quote you, I knew that it was often an emotionally wrenching and permanently transformative experience, a way of working and really of living whose only certainty was uncertainty. Entrepreneurship was wonderful and terrible, exhilarating and terrifying, soul-affirming and soul-sucking. Often, in the same day. And that's amazing because for a lot of people, entrepreneurship and failure means actually has serious consequences. So why do you think that this, I don't know if fetishization or, you know, this categorization of entrepreneurship emerged? Did it emerge from our own institutionalization of, the, of this untangible field? Or how do you think this emerged? That's a really interesting question. Um, and I think the, I guess the standardization, uh, is what you sort of alluded to, um, of this, of something that's incredibly broad. I mean, let's, let's get down to what it actually means, right? Mm. You know, the, the broad meaning of entrepreneurship and, and the meaning of the word, you know, I, I like to start with the definition of the word because I find it's really interesting, right? It's, it, it's a word that came out of France in the, the, you know, 17th, 19th century, and it really meant sort of anyone who was sort of a doer, it could be a military commander, the lead of an orchestra, but it came into sort of economics by this French-Irish economist, Richard Cantillon, who wrote this book that was published, I think, 20 years after he died in 1730-something. Um, and it's a bunch of essays on the economy. And one of the chapters is about the entrepreneur. And he says, there are two types of workers in the world. There are those who worked for fixed wages, mm. someone who has a boss and a salary, and everyone else is an entrepreneur. Anyone who works for an unfixed wage, for an uncertain amount of money delivered at an uncertain time and has control over their work and bears the risk of that is an entrepreneur. Right. And he said, you know, that's the poor farmer, that's the beggar in the street, that's the wealthy mar merchant, that's the landowner. I think that broad definition really covers that, that 
you know, reality of what entrepreneurship is, which is that it is something that's this incredibly broad, expansive field that can really capture anyone and, and what, you know, their work means to them. It could be the beggar in the street. It could be, you know, you're from Mexico city. It could be the itinerant seller of, um, you know, uh, tamales on a street corner, um, or that, the lady that sells, um, those famous, uh, tortas, uh, I was thinking about right now with those. Yeah. In Chapultepec, the la señora de, de, das, uh, de las, um, God, I miss them. The, the chincharon, um, chincharon. uh, tortas. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, you know, it could also mean someone who starts a company that employs five people or 20 people or 2000 people or 2 million people. Um, it can be Jeff Bezos and it could be someone who has a, a business that they run out of their house and they provide one small service that works through Amazon. It's all of that. But what happened over the past 30 years is that academically and in the media, Mm-hmm. and in popular culture, and in our own sort of conversations and imaginations, right. we whittled down the meaning of entrepreneurship and everything we associated with it and the way we taught it, the way we wrote about it, the way we spoke about it, into a much narrower definition, which is someone who starts a company and is an innovator and is an inventor and and grows fast and and changes things and it became this sort of thing that was actually much more rare than that broader definition that only a select few got to be entrepreneurs and so when there were events about entrepreneurship or the faculty of entrepreneurship would open up at a university and yeah. they would have speakers it would almost exclusively focus on these types people, this model of entrepreneurship, venture capital funded, fast growing, often technology companies, um, uh, you know, bold pronouncements, big personalities, um, uh, and this sort of fairy tale almost of entrepreneurship that excluded 99% of entrepreneurs. We're talking about small businesses, family businesses, lifestyle businesses, businesses that might grow slower, businesses that might be nonprofits. Um, uh, and of course, with that is also the who gets to be an entrepreneur. You know, excluded in that tend to be people of color, women, minorities, immigrants, um, older people, um, uh, people who have children. Right. So you only have these sort of eccentric, egotistical, genius assholes like uh, Mark Zuckerberg and Elon Musk and um, Steve Jobs and Jeff Bezos. They're the archetype, and so only people who look and talk like them get to be called entrepreneurs. And we we made entrepreneurship at once both desirable to everybody and romanticized right. and yet inaccessible. Like you'll you will never be Elon Musk. I will never be Steve Jobs, right? Um and, and we we discounted the vast majority of entrepreneurship and the reality, the messy reality that you talked about when you asked this question of what it actually looks like. Yeah. No, it's quite remarkable that that it began to to become something that became standardized, as you mentioned, that became mm-hmm. something that for, for for people my age, I remember when when I started uh, my first year in college and in high school, my school was you know organizing these events with entrepreneurs and the the typical guy who, as you say, founded a, a company and then. Uh, a venture capital fundraised it, and then he exited, as you mentioned, pretty much the same pattern always. And it, I remember a lot of people in my in my class decided to start their life becoming an entrepreneur. This definition of entrepreneur, the one that you know has to create uh, something innovative and then sell out and have a lot of money, or you know the a lot of people went to to start a career or look for a career in Silicon Valley, which is, as you say, it is the Silicon Valley myth. And what do you think, what's, what harm is it doing to our entrepreneurial community and the lack of opportunity to be self-employed somewhere that is not Silicon Valley? What, what do you think, how can people explore being an entrepreneur, my, my age, for example, without, you know, 
this, this desire to go to Silicon Valley? Well, I think the greatest harm that it does is it reduces the possibility um, and the imagination of possibility, right? The, the truth is that entrepreneurship has always and, and remains, you know, this sort of free open road, regardless of whether you live in a very sort of business-centric capitalist society like the United States or somewhere that's, you know, more regulated. I mean, the, when you go to be an entrepreneur, you you have the complete freedom to sort of do what you want to do. Now, sometimes what you want to do will fit best into that model that's been crafted by Silicon Valley. You know, if you're making a, you know, company that's making advanced sort of software or 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 biotech, you know, your best source of funding because of the 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 way that you probably won't be able to make, you know, um sales for many years might be venture capital and and that type of growth and exit strategy. But for most businesses it isn't. Um, and, and that, that model, which we've kind of romanticized and, and elevated has lots of disadvantages as well, right? You sell a lot of your equity to, you know, outside investors and venture capitalists, you, you suddenly are working for them. Whereas right. if you hold it and keep your company private and decide to just make revenue and, and profits, like you control your destiny. Um, so I think, I think by pushing so many people into that, we're, we're narrowing the possibility of what they could do and we're, we're preventing all sorts of interesting ideas, um, companies, products, services from being created because they don't fit into that box. Oh, well, that's just a lifestyle business. That's, that's, that's not, you know, what we teach here at the entrepreneurship course at, you know, Stanford school of business, right? That's not a, that's not a fast growing company. Where's the exit in that? Where's the multiple in that? Well, that business might actually be the one that, makes more sense for someone. You know, this this young person even if they're in graduate school, they might actually be better off opening a small restaurant and then seeing if they can build that restaurant to two locations or maybe a product will come out of that and that doesn't fit into a business plan where they have to immediately scale up to 100 locations. Um and that might actually be the best thing for their community, might be the best thing for their neighborhood, it might be the best thing for their mental health, it might be the best thing for the fact that they have a young family and they want to spend time with them. It might be the best thing for all sorts of different reasons. Um, but we've put all our eggs in one basket mm. and, and, you know, you, yes, you know, a company like Amazon is tremendously powerful and incredibly wealthy and grows incredibly fast, but you can't build an economy just on Amazons, right? You need Amazon and you need the local bookstores and you need the medium sized regional book chains and you need all sorts of other things. Um, but the, one of the main problems with that Silicon Valley model of entrepreneurship is it relies on monopoly and it relies on sort of being the one winner. And the reality is that that there's very few circumstances in life where that occurs. Yeah, and adding up to that is something that I got from from your book, The Soul of an Entrepreneur, is that uh, it means also to to foster a community, to create a, a, a sense of of belonging in 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 the place that you live in or in the place that you want to live in. For example. In your chapter, when you mentioned the, the the Syrian family that came into Toronto and built a restaurant, it creates this sense of, of of kinship to the community, and that's also something that can get um, get out of our hands in 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 when we stop thinking of entrepreneurship as something that can be broad, such as creating a restaurant and and well, building. Yeah, and, and exactly. I mean, let, let, you know, we're talking about this now. It's December first, twenty twenty, right? So we are we are ten months or so into this pandemic, um, and we've seen that the the brunt of the economic pain of this has been on small businesses run and owned by entrepreneurs in the cities that we live in, whether it's you know, Miami or Mexico City or Toronto or wherever. Um, and you know that block that the the restaurant that we talked about Sufi's is on in Toronto which is you know one block from my kids school um now two out of three stores are closed and papered over and um and Sufi's is like the light that's on because they're they actually you know we're always doing takeout and delivery like it's not a restaurant that has more than three tables in it so they've become a bit of an anchor but you know, when you walk around your city and your neighborhood and you see all these stores closing and you see these entrepreneurs losing their livelihood, you know that you're not just losing a place to buy 
clothes or books or food, you're losing people to talk with, people to see, a sense of vibrancy. Entrepreneurs make up the fabric of our communities. Our communities are not just houses and roads and parks and schools. They're tied together by all those different businesses, you know, nowhere more so than a city like where you're from, your your hometown of Mexico City, um, which I went to about a year ago. And I was just astonished that like, there is business and entrepreneurs everywhere. I mean, you cannot walk six feet without someone selling you a huarache or a taco or something delicious. And it's actually like every block is not just defined by the cafes and the galleries and the hotels and, and the, the offices. It's defined by, oh, this is the best, you know, suadero taco on this block. And this is, and you know, oh, you talk to Jorge and he's going to tell you the story about his daughter because he comes from, you know, Chiapas. And it's like, right. that's actually what makes a community. And when you lose those places, when someone moves on or the business closes, you actually lose a piece of your community. That's, again, one of those things that they will never teach you exactly. in the faculty of entrepreneurship studies at you know whatever business school is teaching it. Because in, in that world, and, and the way we've talked about it, entrepreneurship is just, it's a driver of economic growth. It's, it's a way to create jobs and, and GDP and fund taxes. But it's so much more than that. And so here in Toronto, you know, we talk about entrepreneurship and we talk about commerce and like everyone just talks about Shopify, which is mostly based here now, um, which is again, like six blocks from my house. But um, what actually we're talking about are all those businesses that make up a fabric of the city. And so Shopify can grow and grow and its stock is doing amazing and it's doing so well. And everybody's going to buy Tesla's who works there. Um, but Nobody wants to live in a city where that's the only thing that's operating, right? That we, we need, we need, you know, the world of Silicon Valley and, and tech has used the term ecosystem for startups. And it's a great term that's overused, but an ecosystem involves all sorts of different organisms, right? Plants and animals, you know, uh, the big tall trees and the little small grasses, the giant alpha predators, the sharks, the, the whales, the, um, the, the octopuses, and the little plankton that they feed on and everything in between. And it only works if everything happens. The same is true as an, of an economy. You know, we, 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 we care so much about the top startup that's raised the most money and is making the biggest exit, and we discount everything below that. But it's everything below that that makes the economy work, right? 95% of the economy is based in those small and medium-sized businesses, family businesses, businesses run by entrepreneurs, businesses run by individuals, by your neighbors, by your friends, um, by your family. And and for too long, we've we've discounted that. We've said they're not important. Yeah. Wow. That's that's a lot to take in, and I definitely agree. You know, very long answer to a short question. So, no, I love it. <laughs> I love it because you 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 touch on so many essential things and so many things that are very important to, to understand that our community and the soul of a community, it's really close and it's associated. It's pretty much relied upon the soul of an entrepreneur, the creation of, of that idea that I can build, you know, a small grocery store. I can, you know, put my taco restaurant and sell tacos uh, with my family or create a cuisine business or, you know, sell, do like a hustle in, in, in the streets and then began to, to grow, not with the purpose of growing, but because you're being connected more to a community. And what I love is this, this idea of, of diversity that, you know, an, an economy cannot be sustained by just uh, everyone trying to cut off the middleman in every single uh company, every single industry, like, you know, Uber doesn't have its own taxis. You don't have to be the middleman, yeah. that sort of thing, right? And I love that this, this uh, idea, this metaphor that you write on the book, I remember that. How crazy would it be to just think about nature, about science, if we only spoke about elephants, right? So why would, yes. we, why would we keep talking about 
entrepreneurship has opened the door to virtual signaling. You know, I'm an entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. And- the, the worst insult you can get and the most dismissive thing they can tell you is this sounds like a lifestyle business. And if you watch, you know, uh, Shark Tank or some other show like that, um, that's what they'll frequently say. Well, this, how can I make money off this? This sounds like a lifestyle business. A lifestyle business is seen as a cop-out quitting, um, not ambitious enough. It's, it's, it's seen as kind of lesser than. But the reality is that a lifestyle business, which is a term that came about in the 1980s and essentially says, you know, is a business that allows the person who owns and runs it to make enough money to support their lifestyle. I mean, that defines like 95% of businesses out there from, you know, the woman selling the tortas to feed her family um, to, you know, uh, the family business that my grandfather had that's still going like 80 years later that, you know, gave his family everything and has made lots of money for them and very good lives. Like it's, you know, a lifestyle business can fund any sort of lifestyle. It's just a business that's goal isn't to be sold. It's the business to continue doing what it's doing and and allowing for that lifestyle to happen. And it also can be built around what that lifestyle is. If you if your business is built around the lifestyle of making the most money possible, it can be built around that. If your business is built around the lifestyle of having the most time to spend with your family or to spend traveling, you can build your business around that as well. That's, I think if you asked most people whether that's something they would like, I think most people would say, yes, that sounds incredible. I could run a business and it would give me the money I need to live the life I want to live. Um, most people want that. Most people do not want to become billionaires. Oh, sure, it sounds great, but like, you know, uh, you know, I, I, it's, I, I'd also like to be a movie star. You know, I'd, I'd like to be reincarnated as a, you know, professional surfer. It's not going to happen. So, um, but you're telling me that I can, you know, work from home, make my own hours, go surfing if I want to, um, uh, still make enough money to be able to go on vacation and save money and put my kids to university and afford my house and, you know, buy the crap that I want to buy and whatever, and like live a good life on my own terms. Like that to most people, I think not just around the world, but you know, even in wealthy societies, like that sounds like a dream, but we've framed success in entrepreneurship as you're only successful if you make you know, a billion dollars or a couple million dollars. Like that's really what the goal should be. And anything under that is just a lifestyle business. And yet most entrepreneurs are, are lifestyle entrepreneurs. At the end of the day, the entrepreneur is looking for freedom. Once the sense of freedom, the sense of being your own boss, that's one of the biggest quotes in the soul of an entrepreneur, bring your own box, uh, Losing from your bucket and winning from your bucket, you know, having this sense of of auto responsibility of of individualism, so to say. What would be your advice to those who are feeling stuck in their jobs? What would be your advice to those who want to become entrepreneurs but fear the uncertainty of stopping to live with a regular check? Well, first of all, that that uncertainty and that fear is real and and valid, right? Um, and and to say, well, to hell with it, you should just go ahead and do it and don't fear is, you know, there's a real position of privilege there. And like as a wealthy white man, you know, I'm the last person who should be saying that, right? It, it, you know, if you are in somewhere like Mexico, um, a country with tremendous wealth, but also tremendous poverty, and, and you know, you found a good paying job and you are, um, you know, you're poor, you're a campesino or something, um, uh, you know, to say, oh, well, you should just go and do it and to hell with it. Like, no, there's real consequences to that. It's something that you actually have to weigh. I, I think the, the, the danger is this either or, and this is where people get afraid and they get stuck and like, yeah. you can be an entrepreneur on the weekends. You can be an entrepreneur at night. You can be an entrepreneur in a very small way, part-time. Sometimes, you know, there are people who have um, very, you know, full-time demanding jobs, and then they have something that they do as uh, an entrepreneurial side project that is is there to make them some money, but it's also might just be there to fulfill them in a way, to give them a bit of, you know, intellectual exercise into something. And maybe that is something that they intend to turn into a full-time business some someday, and maybe it isn't, right? 
maybe it's something that's just, you know, a, a way of fulfilling um, an interest or a passion in, you know, maybe they're making food on the side or maybe they're creating sort of our projects or maybe they're using some of their talents that they don't use in their regular full-time job. I, I think this is that when you said like, there's a personality of this person who's like, you know, determined and aggressive or whatever, like every type of person is an entrepreneur. I know entrepreneurs who are aggressive and sure of themselves and, you know, wild thinkers. And I know entrepreneurs who are extremely shy and quiet and yet they do what they do and they do it actually very well. Right. What's the most meaningful version of entrepreneurship for you? What's the what's the version of entrepreneurship that's true to you? Because well, your version of entrepreneurship, Alex, is going to be very different from mine, even if we're doing the same thing, right? Even if we're making a taco stand, two, you know, you, 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 we've all seen two of the exact same businesses opening up on the same street, right? Two ice cream stores, two shoe stores, two accounting offices, and they're both completely different. And that is entirely based upon who is behind it. As an entrepreneur, you bring yourself to it. It's the personalization of business. This isn't some nameless sort of company stamping a thing like by robot. It's it's people bringing their personal selves into the world of work. What's the best way you think that younger, younger generations can receive the baton from older generations from their family business? How can they continue this, this legacy? Well, I think it is, you know, family business is, is a reality, right? I think 50% of the, the companies listed on the U.S. stock market are family businesses. And that's, you know, Walmart um, <laughs> and Mars and, and other sorts of large businesses. But it's also, you know, all sorts of other businesses as well. Um, and, and, and a similar number in, in the sort of small and medium-sized business economy. And in, and in places like Latin America and countries like Mexico and countries like Argentina, the numbers are much higher. Um, you know, India, um, China, probably less so. Um, and so, you know, there are cases where this, this is an advantage and there are cases where it, it falls apart. And again, so much of that just comes down to family dynamics, personalities, the existing relationships that have nothing to do with business and everything to do with, you know, what someone's personality is and how much, you know, mom and dad love me. Um, and, and, you know, uh, you like my brother more and you like my sister more and to hell with you and all that sort of stuff. I mean, it's, it's an incredibly difficult thing. And yet when it works, it can work very well because you have, you have a shared sense of that entrepreneurial journey, that personal journey, the strength that you can get when people are tied so closely together. Um, that actually makes it, you know, very, very advantageous. When it works is when entrepreneurship is passed down from a young age as a value. Mm. And so, you know, in Argentina, I talked to a number of different family winery owners and the ones that succeeded best at continuing not just ownership of the family business, but actually growing it and using it as a springboard for entrepreneurial thought were the ones that taught entrepreneurship as something that was part of the family lineage. It was part of their DNA. And that didn't meant that when you were 18, you know, you were handed the keys to the business and given a salary. It meant that you were expected to contribute in a way, not just by working, but by coming up with your own ideas, by taking ownership, not just of the capital, but of the energy of the business and coming up with new ways that your own generation would be able to shape it. And, you know, one of the most successful wineries in Mendoza, uh, the wine growing region of Argentina, is uh, the Zuccardi family. And this is uh, a family in its third generation of uh, owning vineyards um, that's done very well. They export all over the world, very big in the U.S. The, the you know, frequently voted as one of the top uh, vineyards in South America. And, you know, all of the grandchildren of the family work in different aspects of the business, but they've all kind of been given the freedom to be able to shape that business in the way. So it's not this notion of, you come work for me. I'm your father. I'm your mother. You do this job and you shut up and you do this. And, yeah. and then one day you'll take over. Um, like, you know, Prince Charles frustrated. <laughs> he doesn't, you know, mommy's not giving him the keys to the kingdom. Uh, instead, it's like, listen, okay, you're old enough now. So what do you want to do? Well, I want to make, you know, Pinot Noir from our grapes. We've never done that. Okay, well, you know, we're going to give you a little bit of 
funding. We're going to give you the help of the people we have, but like you own the risk of this. If it fails, it's on you. You got to learn it by yourself and you're going to take this risk to do it. But that risk is important. It's seen as a value. It's not seen as this inheritance. And, and that allows people to f- experience the freedom and the risk of being an entrepreneur, but in a way that's sort of supported, right? In a way that's guided, in a way that they feel that they they can fail. Um, they're given permission to, but it's part of a process. It's part of learning. And so they're taught what entrepreneurship looks like. Um, and in many ways, they're taught to sort of go out and start a business outside the business, right? It's It's passed down as a value, but that value is 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 learned and that value is nurtured wow yeah and there's a quote from 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 your book the soul of an entrepreneur that says entrepreneurship is a process and there is no end to the process the results are ongoing and i believe that family family business is something that as you say if 50 percent of of the whole stock market companies consists in family-owned businesses why turn the back to them and not talk about them more in, in at least you know in the in the mainstream media because it is the first time to be honest that i heard that 50% of the stock market is is run by family companies and i believe that it's quite important to to think that entrepreneurship as you say and and thinking of of family businesses can sometimes uh, relate with this standardization of entrepreneurship, this top-down mechanism where I will teach you to be an entrepreneur. But as you say, it is it can become quite counterintuitively with, within a hierarchy, which is a family, can become a bottom-down process. How do you think that we can foster entrepreneurship without becoming it so so much of a category? Interesting. Yeah, and that's that is the big question. Because that's the question that now, especially as we look to the end of the pandemic and start thinking about the economic recovery and the the, the economy that we want to build in the next decade as we emerge from this. And we're only starting to see what the pain of this is now. Like We still have a long way to go. How can we encourage more entrepreneurship and a more broad-based one? I think there's no one answer, and I think that's that's good, right? Because um, I think for for you know 20 years we thought there was one answer, which is we just need to create more tech startups, and that will just sort of start everything. I mean, that is an important part. We you want innovation, you want fast growing companies, you want people inventing new things, but how do you support everything else as well? I think part of it is financial, and so it's how do you create new models of entrepreneurial financing that are um, allow for a broader base of, of people to take a risk as an entrepreneur, um, allow for more women and, and people who are minorities and people who come from poorer backgrounds to be able to have it. So that could be, you know, microfinance, it could be community lending organizations, um, things that work better than banks and are more equitable than, you know, the financial institutions that exist and actually provide opportunities for lenders and people to, you know, make money off this and investors. Um, what are ways that we can teach entrepreneurship that's going to be much broader and prepares people better for being entrepreneurs and different entrepreneurs? And so that's going to the universities and the community colleges and even, you know, high schools and teaching the broader possibilities of entrepreneurship and what that looks like um, and different models of doing it beyond sort of the fast growing startup and the business school archetype. What are ways that we can, you know, help entrepreneurs help each other. What are organizations that are going to allow all those small businesses and family businesses to learn from each other and support each other? Because often we, we frame entrepreneurship as this dog eat dog killer world and everybody's your competition, but actually, you know, one torta seller in one part of Mexico city can learn a lot from another torta seller in another part of Mexico city. One software startup in San Francisco could learn a lot from another software startup in San Fernando. Um, uh, And, and what we need to do is sort of create 
communities of all sorts of different entrepreneurs who can not only help each other with business plans and ideas and strategies about marketing and taxes and whatnot and lobbying or whatever, but actually like just emotionally and mentally support each other through the difficulties and the challenges at every stage of the process, right? Because often I think one of the things about entrepreneurship that's so intimidating and difficult when times are good and when times are bad, Mm -hmm. um, is that entrepreneurs all feel as though they're completely on their own and they're alone. And, you know, that leads to all sorts of different issues around mental health and stress and and family life um, that we can work to help. And again, make, make entrepreneurship a little more supportive and a little easier. Wow. Thank you. Thank you so much for, for saying that. And as well, I'm not thanking you because you're making me crave one of the tortas of Milanesa from Mexico. Yeah. You're torturing oh, yeah, that. Be good. You're yeah, torturing. Sorry, sorry, <laughs> but trust I, me, me too. Yeah, there's there's a solid lack of tortas here in Toronto. I'll tell you. That. Yeah, let's one when, when the pandemic you know ends, let's go grab one together. Yes, uh, easily. Yeah, but I I love what you're saying because it all boils down into pretty much what we're talking the the macro, the micro, you know, individuals, communities, society, and also our economic systems. And this is something that you touch upon right now and, and you dive deep in The Soul of an Entrepreneur, your book, is that sometimes we believe that entrepreneurship is tied down with profits, profit-making. And right now we've been talking about purpose and creating value from, from meaning in one's life and how identity shapes a, a, an entrepreneur and, and a company, a business. And I think of our capitalistic society you know it it can harvest something that is not at least for me maybe some people maybe work and run through that that code is that the greed you know the competition which you which you touch right now but Mm -hmm. let's i'm not saying and i'm I'm not i'm not advocating to you know remove capitalism i'm just i'm trying to think of the way that how can we work with the system itself? How do you think we can foster the good aspect of capitalism and try to, to connect it with, with community, with support? Well, and I think that's, that's where entrepreneurship comes in, right? Because I think when you, when you think about capitalism with a big C, you know, you think about, um, you think about Marx, you think about industrialists, you think about Amazon and, and um, Boeing and these large, vast, corporations that control politics and control the economy and subvert the will of the worker, right? What we, what we don't tend to think about is the friend of ours who owns a coffee shop around the street, around the corner, or, um, or the business that our family might've started or the law practice that, you know, my father has and works for himself. I mean, that is, that is still the heart of capitalism, in the sense that it doesn't mean that, you know, people get to accrue endless capital and power um, in an economy. It is, it is the economic freedom tied very much to democracy of people to be able to pursue the sort of life that they want. Right. And that's something that pretty much globally across the world from that individual perspective has support. I mean, I think even in the most, you know, socialist societies, whether you're talking about Scandinavia or, or, or parts of, parts of, of, of Latin America, um, uh, you know, there is still this idea of like, well, yeah, capitalism is bad, but of course I should be able to run my own business. Like, of course everyone should be able to start their own business and not have to pay, you know, tons of fines and certifications to the government in order to open up, you know, a, a, a store or a food stand or, or whatnot. Because of course I should have the right to be able to do that. I mean, that is that is the energy that we like. And that is where, you know, capitalism actually gives people the ability to shape the system, to make it more equitable, right? Uh, in the United States, you know, 
um, there's a huge disparity in the capitalist system, in the economy, between um, immigrants and non-immigrants, between Latinos or African-Americans and, and Caucasians in terms of household wealth, in terms of employment, right? The, the average white family has 10 times more household wealth than the average black family in the U.S., uh, which is, you know, just gives you an example of one of the reasons why there was, you know, such an outpouring of protest over, over the course of the summer beyond just police violence. And yet in families, you know, black families, black American families that own businesses and are entrepreneurs, that, that wealth gap shrinks to like just four times as much wealth, wow. um, which is still a, a, a disparity, but it allows that gap to close, right? When you, when you look at countries that have closed the wealth gap between themselves and, you know, the wealthier nations of Europe and, and, um, and, and the West, it, Yes, sometimes it comes from huge, you know, corporations, Pemex in Mexico or, um, or Samsung in Korea or whatever, but it also comes from, you know, millions, millions of small and medium sized businesses, entrepreneurs, people being able to have the freedom to pursue these things and build something of it. And so the entrepreneur is the soul of capitalism. It's the heart of capitalism. It's the good part of capitalism. It doesn't mean it's always good. There are plenty of entrepreneurs who are, you know, horrible people and horrible bosses and destroy the earth and destroy their communities and are, you know, just libertarian assholes who love reading Ayn Rand. Um, but there are just as many who contribute to their community who not only provide employment, but um, give people chances, give back, give to charity, create an environment that that use their freedom as an entrepreneur to do something greater. And I think it's, it is, so there is an advantage there right? There is, there is that ability to recapture and, and reboot capitalism in a way that makes it more equitable, that actually makes it better than what it's become. Which big thinker has influenced the way that you see the world right now? And, and where should we, you know, if you had a suggestion, where, where do you think we should, you know, pivot our attention towards some, some thinker? Interesting. Um, That's a really good question. I, you know, what's interesting is I, I don't tend to think of the big thinkers, mm. right? I think we put so much emphasis on the big thinkers. Mm. Um, I think we actually need to think of the little thinkers <laughs> as a little thinker myself. Uh, and, and I mean that in the sense of, um, again, like we, we tend to take a grand work and diffuse it out as this sort of gospel that then everything must filter through. And so you think of, of Schumpeter who came up with the idea of, you know, creative destruction and, and the, the entrepreneurs as, as the innovator and change maker, which gave rise to Friedman and Rind and reigned, um, on Rand, you know, provided the sort of fictional backbone of that. Um, but yeah, I think more, the little thinker is someone like Schumacher, you know, with his book, small is beautiful, but really it's, it's talking to those individuals in your lives who are entrepreneurs and seeing like, yeah, it's, it's this much more diverse thing. Um, uh, so, you know, I, what I point to one person and say, this is the future of it. And this is where it is. I mean, I think there are many different futures. Um, and I don't tend to think in that way of that one big person. I don't think we should worship as anything as dogma. I think everyone's going to have their own influences as well. Right. Yeah. And for some people, it might come from their family. It might come from a mentor, but I think the false thing is this notion that you could read the biography of Steve jobs or of Elon Musk. And like, that's what you need to follow. And you got to dress like him and talk like him. And, you know, that that's, that's the sort of way to like pursue your fantasy yeah. of the future. Um, and that's just not true for everyone. When one starts to create its, his own road towards entrepreneurship, what values do you think uh, that he must have you know, as, as a guide? What values do you think should be in the forefront of, of you know, their efforts? Uh, that's really interesting. Um, I think, you know, listen, values are very personal, right? And everyone's going to have their own values that are different. But I think the most important one is a strong value of the sense of 
what your freedom as an entrepreneur is going to represent, mm. right? Because the business model is going to be determined by many things and the success of the business and the failure of the business will be determined by many things and the route it takes will be determined by many things. So much is out of your control. One of the things you can control and will always be able to control is what, why you're doing it, right? What is the, what is the reason mm. that you are deciding to go to work for yourself and pursue this business or pursue this idea? And why do you continue to do that year after year, day after day? Um, those, those are the values that are going to shape how you work and what you work in and how you respond to the challenges that the world presents as you go through that. Um, and again, it's, I know that's a very broad answer, but for everyone, it's going to be different and that's going to be based on their circumstances and their personality and their history. Um, but you know, as an entrepreneur, you, you will always have the freedom to determine, how you work and the type of work you do. Every entrepreneur has that freedom in a way that someone who's an employee does not. So, so what matters to you? What is the thing that's, that's going to drive you in that way? It's a great way of putting it because not, not in, in, in terms of values and having, you know, this, this guide, but actually asking the right questions and asking the questions that touch upon the soul of the person who wants to become an entrepreneur. And, I love that because it fosters curiosity as well as fosters, you know, self-inquirement, self-inquiry, self yeah, self-insight, which are Yeah. And and again, that is the type of thing that we don't really tend to think about, even as entrepreneurs, because we, we get into something and we do it and maybe after a few years we're just so focused on, you know succeeding and making money and growing and finding new avenues of business or, 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 you know, taking care of our family or whatever, like we don't stop and ask ourselves why we're doing it. Um, and where do we want to go with it and what makes sense for us? Right. And I think a lot of that disconnect or, or forgetting that, you know, could cause a lot of issues. Right. But if we're in touch with that, And we know where to go. We know what the right decision is. We know, we have a better idea of what what is important to us and what we're willing to sacrifice, and and what we're not. And that that can help us determine all sorts of things. It, it provides sort of a guiding light. What is what is the freedom? You know, what is your freedom, and what are you willing to risk for that? What is important to you is 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 you know the the key part of that. What do you think uh, is something after? getting to know so much of entrepreneurship, what do you think is something that almost nobody knows about entrepreneurship? Um, that's a good question. I think how lonely it is. Like I think most people don't realize that even if you're working with a lot of people, even if you have partners and many employees and collaborators, uh, it's inherently lonely because you you bear so much of the mental weight mm. of what you're doing um, that when you work for someone else you know they bear that mental weight and um, and it's it's incredibly isolating uh, you feel as though there are many things you just can't talk to other people about um, and so much is just in your own head and I think a lot of people just aren't prepared for that We usually think of entrepreneurship as this this fantasy, this unicorn, this everything is great. Uh, mm -hmm. But th those are the, the the real deal is that if people my age, undergrads or graduates, don't understand that entrepreneurship is is more often than not, it's it's stressful, it's it's isolating. We won't be able to cope with the challenges that at least. I'm, I know I'm biased given the pandemic and given the whole context, but it seems that what the future holds is going to be challenges. And if we don't talk about that, that dark side of entrepreneurship, the real side, the true side, the soulful side of entrepreneurship, we won't be able to deal with that. Well, and, and that darkness is also where the light is, right? It's yeah. that same, you know, when we talk about Richard Cantillon and his definition of entrepreneurs originally in 1730, I mean, we're, we're talking about the very same things that his entrepreneurs have today, which is two things every entrepreneur has, and that's freedom and risk. Yeah. The freedom is the part that is the excitement 
of that loneliness. It's the idea that keeps you up at night and you keep thinking about and you're excited about and you want to tell people and they don't really understand, but this is the thing that's like your thing and you're go, go, going with it. And it's, it's, it's your dream. It's your fantasy. It's your passion. Hmm. It's all those things that's like engages you. Um, and, and yet that freedom is also always coupled with the risk, the risk that it won't work out, the risk financially to you and your family and your household, but also the risk that, that, that idea and you are, are, you're set to wrestle with, and you're going to have to spend time and fight with that and deal with it. I mean, you can't separate those two. You, it's not all good or all bad. It's always those things. And I think accepting that is the first step in sort of a healthier future as entrepreneurs. So, you know, as, as we're wrapping up this conversation, I mean, I think that's, that's the one thing I I would leave you with is, is every entrepreneur has the freedom and they bear the risk, um, regardless of who they are, what their circumstances are. It's how you deal with that, that shapes your life as an entrepreneur. Wow. Oh, David, thank you for, for saying that this has been a great experience for me, you know, getting to, to know you and your book, The Soul of an Entrepreneur, really is going to change the way I see myself, you know, unfolding and the way the, the ideas that I create in the world and how can they affect my community, my society and my own existence here on earth. So us entrepreneurs are going to need to to walk our talk, you know, create create new ideas that can help more people and right now we need a more sense of community i believe so. yeah i said this to someone recently it's like there's never there's never a good time to be an entrepreneur and there's right. never a bad time to be an entrepreneur there's just your time to be an entrepreneur but david thank you so much for joining me this has been truly truly an honor thank you so much oh my gosh the the pleasure was all mine this was uh, really a wonderful conversation alex i'm i'm thrilled Thank you. Thanks for tuning in for this edition of Through Conversations Podcast. If you find this episode interesting, don't miss out on new conversations and subscribe to the podcast at any podcast feed you use and leave me a review. Also, consider sharing it with someone you think can enjoy this episode. Our new awesome music is by Joe Lyle. More info can be found at joelyledrums.com. Hosted and produced by Alex Levy. <laughs>